In some ways, uh, lack of a better way to say it, concluding a series today, but I don't know if it's ever concluded, you know what I mean by that? But at least this will be this, the, at least the title, uh, we'll be concluding it, and it's in community. Today it's about a holy nation. Now, the biblical story, as I've mentioned a few weeks ago, and Dan just did a great, Dr. Dan did a great job last week of helping us see it, that it's, it didn't just start in the garden, it was happening before the garden. <laughs> But the biblical story is a story of community. Scripture says when the first humans were made, things were not good until there were two. In my opinion, the whole understanding of the fall is not just about sin entering humankind, which it is, but it's about the separation of what was intended. The intention to walk with God blamelessly. The breaking, the fall was the breaking of an intimate relationship, the breaking of community. Jesus, when he came to earth, he modeled community with his band of disciples. He lived it out for us. The early church, as we see, they modeled community. The story ends in Revelation with the vision of the new community. Begins and ends and continues in community. Community is what we were created for. And we're being restored back. I think if you're really honest about it, if you're here today and you've not, you're not sure about the whole faith thing, that's okay and we're glad you're here But I think we probably all agree that there is something within all of us, especially in the culture we live in today, but it's always been there. There is this innate something that we want acceptance. We want to be in community somehow or another, whatever that is. And some of you have done some pretty stupid and funny things, I will say this, just to fit in, just to be a part of a community. Remember the I dare you moments? Some people never make it, right? Some of the famous last words, unfortunately. But it's often because of your desire to be accepted or my desire to be accepted. We overrule our personal safety in order to do that, but we also many times do some extremely regrettable things in order to fit in. I've shared with you many times, my first drink of alcohol was at 16 years old, my 16th birthday, and it wasn't because I was desiring alcohol, just so you know. There was nothing about that. I mean, I had to acquire the taste, okay? So it was nothing about it. But it was to do what? Fit in. What they didn't write on that case of beer or that that six-pack that day was, the next 10 years, this will have a hold of you. They just didn't put that on there. Oh, they say, well, maybe don't drive. Oh, okay, whatever. Actually, I don't think that's on there either. Be responsible. My point is this. Some of you've had you just to fit in, whether it's in a relationship, just to be accepted in that relationship. So many things that are regrettable that have, for many of you, you're still not out of it. Let me just tell you today, some of you are maybe coming today and you have dug yourself a hole. And I, the first thing I need to tell you today is just put the shovel down. 
Put the shovel down. Stop digging. There is hope. There is hope. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that the reason you, look, you watch TV, most many of you do, or, or maybe if you don't, you see these ancestry websites that you can go to. I mean, and we can name them off here, but I'm not going to give him any PR here. But you know that you can go do that. Now, it's this big thing over the last, what, seven or eight years. You know, part of that is because people want to know, where do I belong? How do I fit in. I realize some of it's historical. You just want to know cool things. I'm not saying it's all that, but I think the biggest part of it is where do I fit in? I can tell you your greatest ancestor. You want to trace it back? I wish people would do that. Start in the garden. And there was a man named Jesus that came to restore you back to that. Richard Foster says this in the Quoted it a few weeks ago, but some of you probably were not here, so just in case. He says, now when I speak of Christian community, I'm preferring not just to the work of churches and certainly not churches as they are often manifest today. I'm speaking of an alternative way of living that shows for social life as it is meant to be lived. Communities of love and acceptance, fellowships of freedom and liberation, centers of hope and vision, societies of nurture and accountability, little pockets of life and light so stunning that a watching world will declare, see how they love one another. All he's doing is quoting Jesus in the book of John. The world will know basically that I have come and how you preach and music and buildings how you love one another is what Jesus said you know one of the toughest parts I think about community Christian community specifically is that you really don't know what you're missing until you're committed and in that's the it's a terrible selling point I mean if you're wanting to sell Christianity to anybody it, it, okay, yeah, you can say, well, if you don't do this, you might go to hell, or if you do this, you might get to go to heaven, okay. But, but when you start talking about community, it's a terrible selling point to say, you won't know what it is till you're in. What? I mean, Christianity is not like, because you may come on a weekend and get a little taste, but that doesn't mean you know. It's not like going and doing wine tasting that some may do. It may not they say, hey, I'm, you take the car for a weekend, and just drive it, and you'll know what it's like to own this car. Or it's like living with someone versus being married. It's, you think it's the same. Or it's you deciding to, have, to babysit for a weekend or for a week for somebody and know what it's like to be a parent. Or for some of you, I'm really about to hurt your feeling, feelings. Owning a dog is not like being a parent. Just so you know. Because if it dies, you'll mourn for a short while, take pictures. You already had, maybe not after it's dead, but. <laughs> and guess what you'll do? Get another dog. The weight of what it feels like to be a parent. Not everybody's supposed to do it. Not everybody's called to do it. But, what, but you cannot confuse what it is when you have it. Because you're in. You understand the responsibility and the accountability and the expectation. You get it. 
So just dabbling in and out of church doesn't make you understand what community is. Coming and eating at a meal like we did this morning, which was great, and all that, and that is part of community, but that is not community in itself. So again, a terrible selling point is you don't know what you're missing until you have it, and you can't have it till you're all in. How are we supposed to sell that? Macy, this week, as we were riding along, I went to pick her up, and we were riding. Macy's my five-year-old granddaughter. We're riding along, and she just out of nowhere says, G-pop, and that's what she calls me. That's a good reason why she said it. And she goes, G-pop, I don't understand. I don't know. And she said, I don't know how ABCs help you read. I just don't understand. Now think about that for a second. But there'll be a moment, right, when she's all in on that, and it all makes sense. And it all makes sense and go, oh, I see it now. I see it everywhere. I see this divine drama unfolding around me every day. This, this stage, this divine stage that has been opened up around me, that's been going on forever, and I'm just now getting in on it. This majestic before, I just walked by it, but most of us are blind to it. The first Peter 2, 9 and 10, talking about the church and the community, says that but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have now received mercy. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are distinctive. You are unique. You are uncommon. A royal priesthood, kingly. But a priest. In the Old Testament, the priests were a special class. Today, now, because of Jesus coming, and Hebrews 4 talks about it, but here we're talking about the priesthood of believer. In other words, we have no, uh, we, we, ha we have no uh, a block, but we don't have to have an earthly human to go between us and God anymore. We now have full access. We have one that sits at the right hand of the Father, yes, but we have access. We come with confidence to the throne because of what Jesus has done. The priest offered up sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 and 2. says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus has done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not going and killing yourself, but as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. We'll just stop right there. 
To be a priest, to be in the priesthood, it means a separate life, to be consecrated, to be set apart. It's what that means. You are a people that have been set apart, and you do not have to have a go between you and God. You have full access. A kingly group you are. A royal group. Some of you are royal, but I won't go into that. Nah, you know what I'm saying. Think about that. Just rest on that for a minute. The elevation, some of you have been put down all your life and you're now finding out by stepping into the people of God that you are now royalty. You've been elevated to royalty. A people belonging to God. You know, a while back I was at a, uh, I needed to return something to an unnamed uh, Big box general merchandise store. You can figure out where it is. Had to go to customer service. And it seems like an oxymoron when I think back on it. But often when you're returning something to this particular store, and some of you may work there, you may figure it out real quick, you feel like you need a defense lawyer standing next to you because you're being interrogated about why you're bringing it back. It wasn't always that way there, but it has seemed to be that way over the last few years, that it's changed, the culture changed, the ethos changed. Partly the leader no longer is alive. The leader who started it, who had a different approach in this particular chain. The ethos changed. Because it seems like most people I interface with at this particular big box general merchandise store doesn't really seem like they're happy about being there. And as a matter of fact, they're not even, I'm not even sure they're happy that I'm there. Matter of fact, they're probably not happy that I'm there. But at this trip, what was interesting about this particular trip when I was there was I ran into a young man and then a young woman. One was a cashier, one was just out helping. I asked them for help and they were awesome. They were uncommon. They were peculiar in their culture. And what I wanted to say to them was, get out, (laughs) run, get out now before they ruin you. King James Version on this belonging, people belonging to God, they actually use, the King James Version says they're peculiar people. Now, you've known Christians who are peculiar. I get that. You've known, uh, we get all that. But I want to make sure you understand the phrase peculiar in the King James Version is not translated very well into our modern translation because we look at it as somebody who's maybe even weird or unusual. Yes, that's right. But back then when it was translated, it meant belonging to or property of. That's what it meant. So the word peculiar is defined as a distinctive because of who or what it belongs to. While it's true that believers are different, it is the believer standing as a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus, and God's own special 
people. And that's what makes us peculiar. Dr. Dan mentioned last week, unfortunately, in our attempts as a church and as God's people to become relevant and blend in into our culture, it seems that we've lost a lot of our distinctiveness, a lot of our uncommonness as the people of God. I just want to say to you folks, the message of the gospel of Christ is intended to have an impact on your life. It is not just a theology to be believed. It is a relationship with an almighty God that should revolutionize your life. It is unusual to gather on a Sunday morning. I get it. To give up your weekend. But as you've heard me tell you, say here before, when I was a Christian for about two years and I was hanging out with people that I, I'm not saying they didn't love the Lord, they just didn't, just didn't seem any different than everybody else. But I believe God was calling me to be different. And I remember having a prayer time after church on one Sunday morning and just said, Lord, if there's not more, I'm going to take my Sunday mornings back and my 10% and keep moving as long as I'm going to heaven. But if there's more, I want more. If there's something deeper, and, 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 and please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to question your salvation today, but what I'm wanting to say to you today is there's more. There's just more. James Bryan Smith says, I need to be reminded that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I am peculiar in the, sense of the be, in, in the best sense of that word. Peculiar, that is, to the world around me that does not live by the teachings of Jesus. My life is rooted in the eternal and strong kingdom of God. The roots of my life are in the future, safe and secure, which gives me the strength to live unselfishly. See, if I'm secure in Christ, I'm not worried about what other people think of me. I'm secure because I know I'm not going to lose anything. I know I, I'm secure in him even if somebody curses me or spits at me or thinks that I'm lower than them just because I want to serve. I'm okay. To strive for unity in the midst of diversity. You don't think the church is diverse. Did you watch that first song this morning? Did you get here in time? We're diverse in this room. One of the things that makes us diverse, not just color and ages and socioeconomic, but our stories are all unique to us. But that common scarlet thread that weaves through To forgive even when it is not easy. To set my standards high. To live generously. To long, to long, to long to be worshiping in the house of the Lord. 
and to be a witness of new life to a dying world. I need to be reminded and I need a community around me to help me remember who and whose I am and what that means for my daily life. Question around our dinner table last Sunday. After talking about Dr. Dan's message, we were there a good while just talking about what makes a difference when we gather together because we go to a concert or we go to a a conference or I was talking about many years ago, we had our district assembly from the Church of the Nazareth and we had it in this room here and there's probably 500 to 600 people and there was this worship going on in here that's unusual. It was unusual. The roof was almost felt like it was gonna lift off the place. There was this flowing and it was this style of music. So if you're thinking Church of the Nazarene, some other kind of stuff, no, no, it's this style of music. It was Josiah and a bunch of those guys leading it. But there was this worship and it was almost felt like it was lifting. And I said, I think I know the difference when you go to these places versus most Sunday mornings anywhere in the valley. Not just here, but anywhere. Is it those people who come to those conferences or those people who come to the district assembly, they're vested. They're in. They have come with expectation. They have come knowing that only God can. They've come with maybe even preparation. They've come with accountability and something happens in the midst of all that that you can't get elsewhere and you can't get on most Sunday mornings. You say, well, that's just a camp high. That's just, no, I don't, yeah, I know there's camp highs and we can, I was a youth pastor way too long. I understand that. Or maybe I was a youth pastor just long enough. That's a better way to say it. That's different than what I'm talking about. What would happen in this room for two to 300 people to come in here prepared? And each week, I don't have to preach you down to make you feel like you need to do something to preach you back up. Because you already know you're broken. You walk in the room knowing that. I could have shorter sermons. Just 10 minutes of trying to lift you up, and then we go home. I long, I long to be a part of a community where we walk in. Oh, but here's the deal. People coming in wanting to find out. We're not talking about everybody in the room already there. We're talking about people coming in trying to find the answer to the answer. Trying to find find, find the way to the way maker. Oh, we want to be that place. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the people who are coming, who are committed, who are in, it's a different community that way, folks. I don't know how to get there. I've been hungering and longing for it for some time. I, really I hadn't seen it the way that I'm talking about. And I visit a lot of churches around town. I don't sense it fully in the room. I sense it in the first six or seven rows. What I mean by that is, it's not about just singing. You know I don't mean that. But there are things, I told Jan Sunday, I mean the other day, I said there are times on Sunday, singing is just not enough and I don't know what to do with myself. By myself in the car. I want to express some other way. That's about the best I can do. Now, I, you know, I know some of you get worried at times. and I realize there needs to be order. I believe God is a God of order. I don't think you need to be trying to draw attention to yourself. Don't misunderstand what I'm But I believe sometimes you just want to figure out a way to express yourself. And you're just trying to figure it out. 
a holy nation. God is holy. But one of the things I'm concerned about at times is that when we think about holy, especially those maybe on the edge of it, when you don't, a lot of people don't really talk about holiness, even inside the church, but even those in the church, when you think about holy, you think about morally good. Unfortunately, that's how we defined it for a long time. Dr. Dan addressed it a little bit last week where what I don't listen to, what I don't, things I don't do maybe, it's more about that, the things I'm trying to be good at. But what I love about holy literally means this. God is otherly. It means he is totally, completely, and fundamentally different than anyone or anything else. He is one of a kind. He is himself, and no other is like him. Holy. Not just morally good and really, really good. God's really, really good. He is. But he is totally otherly. You won't find anything to set up beside it and try to compare him to. So how does that affect us? A holy nation? Holiness, one of the reasons why Jesus came, and like I said, I believe the fall is the breaking of community. Sins, if sin had a job, its number one job, job description would be to separate. It's about separation. So why did Jesus come? Jesus came to not only deal with our sin and die for it, but to reconcile us back to what we were intended to be. Reconcile us back to community, to take us back to what we were intended to be in the first place. So Jesus going to the cross is not only about you, him dying for your sins, it is about community. And of all things, and I've said it before, it's, it's a terrible plan. Not only do we have a terrible selling pitch, but then Jesus gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And he said, you people are plan A and there is no plan B. It is through you the world will know. It is through you that the world will be reconciled. It is through you. Again, I've said before, it's a terrible plan because we're flawed, big time. But he chose us. As I said a few weeks ago, When we pray the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, by praying and saying this, and this is, you need to hear me. If you ever pray that prayer, that's the reason why I've said before, I don't think most people who pray it before a ball game really understand what they're praying. (laughs) Or they pray it before we go out and do whatever, or we pray it after the, that's awesome. I'm not saying don't pray it. I'm just saying you may not know the weight of it. Because when you pray hallowed be thy name, Hallowed or holy, it means set apart, consecrated, set apart. But here's the deal. Anything that attaches itself to the holy one, holy nation, should reflect that. So when you say, hallowed be thy name, what you're ultimately saying is, Lord, a father, today, Let me reflect you. Let me reflect you in everything I do today. I hope I do well today because you are holy and you have touched me. Because you've touched me, I now represent you. 
set apart. A holy nation. Nation comes from the word ethnos. In other words, properly a people joined by practicing similar customs or common culture. But we use a word around here, most of you know ethos. The definition is a spontaneous reoccurring pattern. Ooh. Oh, what is that? There it is. Ride the wave. Just got seasick. A spontaneous, those who are listening online, the lights almost went out, just so you know, just so you know. Ethos, a spontaneous reoccurring pattern. It is the underlying conviction, this is something we've kind of, we've made our own up, just so we have a habit of doing that around here. It is the underlying conviction that determines the beliefs, values, and worldview of not only an individual, but also a community. It is the, has the capacity to influence and shape everything in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is what makes us contagious. I am a part, most of you know, you've heard me talk about it, I'm a part of the St. Louis Cardinal Nation, proud card-carrying. I'm a part of the now Las Vegas Raider Nation, proud card-carrying, been for 50-something years. I'm a proud card-carrying of hogs, the, the Razorbacks, calling the hogs. I'd do it for you right now if you wanted me to, but I won't. I don't think you do. We're unique. I'm a part of the Gentry Tribe. My grandmother had 59 grandkids on the gentry side, 110 great-grandkids. we got a tribe going on. <laughs> Inside of my immediate family, there's 60 of us, or over 60 of us, between 60 and 70 of us. My mom and dad and everybody from there. But 20-something years ago, I had to make a decision. Knowing when I left 400 Johnson Way in Wake Village, Texas, to move to Arizona, my mom on her knees crying in that front yard. I knew that I was part of a bigger nation. Now, when I left, my kids look like this. I don't know if you get the picture or not. That's a beautiful family there. Actually, I'm more impressed by the hair on the guy. No, just, Colton was not happy, just so you know. Colton wasn't happy about that. But I also know we grow up and we do this life together. And we, and just this last, the next picture, you got it? So this is us now. And all I, you can go ahead and take that down quickly. <laughs> I knew that I had to put my trust in the Waymaker. I remember walking away. I remember leaving and going up to the mountain with a jug of water and a boom box of all things. That's in my, in my Bible to go fast and pray for as long as I needed to. Fortunately, it was only one afternoon. Thank you very much, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember it going, Lord, I know if we leave here, we may not ever come back. That I may have to bear, and some, many of you have done the same thing, but I was doing it in the name of the church, which makes it a little trickier sometimes. That I may bury my parents and Jan's parents from a distance. There's a lot of things I'm going to have to do. I won't see them. My kids won't know them the same, and we did everything we could to make sure that tried, but it won't be the same as all the others. But I was part of a holy nation, one that's set apart, one that's distinctive, one that's uncommon, and it changes everything. 
It changes everything. The God that called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. There should be a contrast between the holiness of this, this new life because of his wonderful light and our old life. There just should be, folks. Is it possible that people around you, when you go to work or you go play ball or wherever you go, whether you're out at a dinner, wherever that is, and I realize we're supposed to go play ball and we're supposed to work and we're supposed to not you know, try to change ourselves outwardly, but there is a fragrance and aroma that can come about your life that says, and you are willing to talk about <laughs> that you shall be my witnesses you shall receive power. We should be different. You're chosen by God. Chosen by God for the calling of priestly work. I'm still amazed to this day. That God has forgiven me for my worst moments. The scripture says that my sins and your sins are far removed as far as the east is from the west. Never to be brought up again. Now think about that. And with all that he knows about me, he still has a great plan and purpose for me. With all that he knows, he still does. Declare the praises of him. As Dr. Dan said last week, The difference between a Unitarian God and a triune God is unbelievable. You need to go listen to it if you haven't. They're not the same. Christianity is unique. <clears throat> it is uncommon. Our worship is unique. And I'll tell you what. We don't need to apologize for it. When we sing songs like Waymaker, Miracle Worker, I realize it's not everybody's cup of tea style of music, but there is something that happens. I'll tell you right now, I have, I have sang and worship with Southern Gospel, just so you know, and loved it, just so you know. I've sang with choirs, full-blown choirs every Sunday, and worshiped and loved it. We believe this is where we're supposed to be. But I would just ask that you come in each week prepared with an expectation of God moving amidst of his people. Richard Foster, 
says, when the people of God meet together, there often comes a sense of being gathered into one mind, becoming of one accord. When we are truly gathered into worship, things occur that can never occur alone. There's the psychology of the group to be sure, and yet it is so much more. It is divine interpenetration. There is what the biblical writers call kononia, deep inward fellowship in the power of the Spirit. I'm ask Josiah and him to come, and we're going to close in song. To be adopted into a new family. One of the things I love about being a part of the Church of the Nazarene is we're in 160 world areas. It's pretty awesome. But it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a part of the church that we're a part of in that sense. That doesn't matter. But we point to the one I love what I think it was Wesley, John Wesley, and I don't have the quote. He said, even though we may not think, about, not think alike, may we not love alike? Even though our theology may not be the same, but if you love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, he said, give me thine hand. Let's go. Let's don't be fighting around all these other, let's, let's go. There's a world waiting for us to go to protect the unity and the fellowship of the Spirit, Kononia. No borders, no earthly leader. That's the reason why, for me, I can leave here on Sunday in some ways not worry about it. I do worry more than I need to, but I'm not the leader of this thing. <laughs> the thing we have to be, be real aware of in the church is, is that people get real comfortable with Moses. With all those speakers you're listening to online and all those things you're downloading and all those people you're listening to, you can get real comfortable with Moses But you need to be in the presence of an almighty God. God sends messengers, but there is only one that you set face to face, the Holy One. Aren't you glad he says, come on in? So when we gather on Sundays and we get a little, I sometimes maybe jump or I use motions. I, I don't really know. I started clapping years ago. I have no idea where that came from. I don't know what else to do with it. So give me a little grace. There's some things you probably go, if you start seeing me do it, okay, come and tap me on the shoulder and go, okay. But we come on a day like today in the fellowship of believers around the world from Iran to Syria to Darfur to Armenia to Croatia, to the Philippines, to Cambodia, to China, to Europe, to the United States, maybe even Canada. <laughs> Central and South America. And this voice of a million voices. I told Josiah we need to change the song. It needs to be a billion voices. But other than that, I'm okay. Join in. I want to pray for us. Won't you stand if you would? We're going to close.
as we sing this. And I'm just going to ask you to lift your voice. It may be uncomfortable. But I heard one time, my job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So there you go. <laughs> nah, we just want it for you. We just want it for you. Lord, help us right now. Only as you can. Only as your spirit moves. As we think of through the centuries, from dark caves or hiding places to the cathedrals, as your people have lifted voices, Lord, because your word says, if we don't do it, the rocks will cry out. I don't want no rock to beat me out. So today, Lord, we praise you for the one that brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's sing together.